right. Hello, welcome, welcome. We are doing something different this evening. We are doing a panel discussion or a conversation for you. Um, my name is Mark. Um, I've been part of Every Nation for a very long time, uh, then was elsewhere for a while and have come back last summer. So it's great to be back. It's like family. Uh, and so I'm excited to be here. Um, so I've been asked to, to preach, but instead of preaching and just hearing my voice for the next 30 minutes, um, we're going to have a conversation in front here. And uh, the invitation is for you to uh, listen to this conversation. And I'd encourage you, as you're listening, um, that perhaps there'll be something that, you, uh, that stands out to you, something that uh, you're drawn to. Take note of that, okay? That might be God and the Holy Spirit telling you something through this conversation that we're going to have here. Um, he might be speaking to you, and so pay attention. If something stands out to you, if something is uh, interesting to you, um, sit with that. Write it down on your sermon notes, and uh, hopefully um, this will be an engaging time uh, as we discuss uh, Isaiah. So um, we have been working through the book of Isaiah, um, and so uh, we are going to be ending that series next week in, during Easter. Um, but as a, as a form of like recapping, um, we're going to start off just discussing uh, our experience with this book, uh, and then we're going to dive into Isaiah 50 uh, and have a discussion about that. So um, this is a new experience. This is an experiment. So welcome to our conversation here. <laughs> well, why don't we start by introducing ourselves up here, and uh, we can start over here. And uh, you can just introduce yourself, and uh, then we'll dive in. Cool. You said who we were as a collective. Did you? Or did I miss it? We're the teaching team. Oh, there we go. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm Jonathan. I'm a member of the teaching team here at Every Nation. We meet every two weeks to discuss uh, what's coming up in sermon series and chew on things together. It's really, really fun. So I'm one of the pastors here. My name's Colin. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. I like it. Uh, my name is Mark. I did miss that piece about the teaching team. Uh, Greg Mitchell, obviously, is part of the teaching team, <laughs> thankfully. Um, and then uh, Sujit, as well, is part of the teaching, teaching team. And then us. So it's the seven of us. So go ahead. Hey, I'm Michael. I'm a student studying theology at the moment. And my family just moved up from North Carolina in the States a year ago. I'm Paul. <laughs> Great introductions, guys. All right. Hey, so um, what's, uh, we've been journeying through the book of Isaiah. What has stood out to you? What have you gravitated towards as you've worked through this book? I know some of you have preached. Uh, well, each of us have preached. Jonathan hasn't. Um, but uh, what's, uh, what, what, what have you been drawn to? Um, what, has it been challenging reading through this book? Has it been rewarding? Uh, just share your experience traveling through the book of Isaiah. I was, uh, I was surprised uh, how much it talks about suffering. It's, uh, it's everywhere. And the, the, the level of agony that uh, Israel is going through in this time, is, uh, it was quite gripping, actually. And so that's one of the things that really stood out to me was, was how, how much God uses suffering. So I knew Isaiah was a, hope, was a book about prophecy of Jesus coming. And that's what next week's about, you know, the, the famous suffering servant chapter in Isaiah where it's this beautiful, you know, prophecy of, of, of Jesus that's like so accurate and it all comes true in the New Testament. It's crazy. Uh, and so that's what the frame of reference I had was Isaiah 53, what we're talking about next week. But then the whole first 50-something chapters is it's a little downer. 
So, I mean, we'll get somewhere. I mean, this is, but that's the thing that stuck out to me most was how much it talks about suffering and how God's just like, yep. Did, did you have another expectation coming in before jumping yeah, to Isaiah? Did I, you, I guess what did I, you expect? Jesus is, you know, there's a lot of hope attached to the suffering servant. And I guess I should put it together. It's the suffering servant. You know, it makes sense. But the, the suffering really jumped out at me. Anyone else? Uh, I noticed... <laughs> everyone looked at me, so it was my turn. Uh, how, like, public everyone's joy or suffering was. Uh, <clears throat> we just make so much of our faith private and everything that happened to Isaiah for the most part seemed pretty public. Um, everyone loved him. Everyone hated him. Like he preached hard truth. People repented or they were disobedient. Like there wasn't a lot of uh, like making your faith personal I don't know, everything seemed like a public communal issue, which really stuck out to me. Thanks, Paul. I think that's the same thing that stuck out to me. Obviously, God cares about individuals, but I think he cares a lot more about communities than maybe in the Western modern world we're aware of. And all the consequences, for better or for worse, were experienced communally. And then I think Greg's message as well was really challenging that Isaiah did offer hope, but many of the people... Uh, who, were, who were hearing the message actually wouldn't experience the full manifestation of that hope in their own lifetime. But again, just thinking corporately, their children one day would be able to experience a return from exile. I think for, for me, for us, we just always desire such immediate resolution to things that can be really challenging. I, I, just to jump on that, I struggle so much with thinking about God as like an eternal thing. You know, and it, it, Jesus does make you happy lots of the time. Great, awesome. But how, uh, how little do I think about uh, the eternity of what's taking place? And, with, and with God, the reason why God is okay with all this suffering happening is because you've, he just has such a bigger picture of what's going on. And I think the only way you could ever endure that sort of suffering is if you had that bigger picture, which is what Isaiah is trying to paint. And uh, I don't think eternally very often, if I'm honest. Colin. What, what are your uh, thoughts about Isaiah, the journey you've been on with Isaiah? Yeah, it's a really interesting book. I found it difficult, to be honest with you guys. Like, it's, um, reading through it, I was struck with um, seeing God as, like, a God of justice and a God that's true and that follows through on his word. That can be difficult sometimes when it's against people that are supposed to be, like, the good guys. You know, and you see Israel, he warned them again and again, you know, don't, go to other nations, don't worship other gods, or I'll put you into exile. And you don't think it'll ever happen, and then he, he does that. And just to see, work through those sort of difficult truths, I found that. I'm still thinking about it. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, has anyone here uh, seen the Bible Project? Uh, hands up, I just want to see who's, uh, who's actually looked at this thing called the Bible Project. It's kind of a, it's a, what do you call it? A cart- It's not a cartoon. What do you call it? Uh, An infographic? I don't know. Infographic, animation, uh, summary of the Bible. And uh, I found it really helpful um, going through Isaiah uh, just to watch this. It's like maybe seven minutes long or something. And uh, it just gives like an overview of the book. So I would encourage you, if you haven't seen it, uh, just like YouTube Bible Project Isaiah and uh, watch this. And if we're, if we're traveling through uh, other sermon series on a particular book, 
um, really recommend that you check out the Bible Project. It's uh, a great summary. It's a great way of understanding uh, book as a whole. Um, all right, so we're gonna. Um, thanks for sharing that, guys. That was uh, that was great. Um, we're gonna transition now to Isaiah 50, which is uh, the scripture that we're gonna be jumping into. So if you uh, have a Bible in front of you, or if you want to check out on your phone, Isaiah 50, and uh, we're gonna be focusing uh, verses four to nine, um, and each of us is gonna read a verse here uh, up front, so you guys can follow along. We'll start with uh, with Jonathan on the left here, and we'll just do one verse at a time. So that's Isaiah 40. Sorry. Chapter 50. Chapter 50. There we go. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 1. Well, starting, uh, we can start in verse uh, 4. Oh, sorry. Okay. Starting in verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn my back. Or nor did I turn back. Sorry, where are we? <laughs> what verse? Colin, Colin has a different translation because he's okay. holier than us. See, this is confusing. I was like, wait, what's going on here? What, what translation do you have? NASB. What's that one? This is NIV. Okay, cool. It might have been confusing for you guys, too. I don't know what translation you're Verse reading. 6, Mark. We're on verse 6. Okay. <laughs> Everyone, we're on verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Ten. We're good. We're, we're good. We'll just go to verse nine. So, so we don't have to listen to your translation again. <laughs> just kidding. All right. So... Um, this is, a, this is a poetic text that we just looked at, and there's, um, there's four suf- uh, servant songs that Isaiah has, um, which emphasize suffering. And so this is one of the, the poetic uh, texts, one of the songs, um, and so it's written in the context of the Babylonian exile. Uh, as you notice, it's written in first person, and it's a first-hand experience of suffering. Um, we're going to be jumping into this discussion and wrestling with this idea of suffering. Uh, and it's neat that this text is a, a firsthand experience because we want to share uh, firsthand experience about uh, just what we think about suffering and this topic of suffering. Um, so I find it neat that this text is in first person and you'll be hearing from uh, different voices up here in this, uh, this panel. So um, just to break it down really quickly before we jump into the, the meat of this discussion, uh, verses four to five, um, it's the cost of being faithful to the Lord's calling. God is calling this servant that it speaks about to speak and to listen. Um, so the sovereign Lord has given or opened, that's the beginning of verse 4 and 5, shows how God enables and is the source of calling. Uh, this, I know this is really quick. We'll jump down to verse 6. Uh, the meaning of suffering is central in this passage. When truth is spoken, such as a, a prophet like Isaiah, they actively choose to accept conflict or suffering or shame. 
This is not passive suffering, rather it is embracing suffering. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that in our discussion. Uh, verses 7 and 9, uh, they talk about God's help. Um, the servant will not be put to shame because of God's help. Um, and so God's help is the source of hope. Um, and so with that, uh, I just want to ask the question, can you relate to this suffering servant that is described in this passage? Well, it kind of points to Jesus, so I don't really want to compare myself to him too much. <laughs> but um, I think it sets like the mature example of how to like accept those things when when like uh, circumstances or whatever comes along that lead you to this place of suffering. So uh, I relate in the sense that I look to it as sort of like an example, I guess. But I feel yeah. quite childish when I'm suffering. <laughs> to be honest. You look it. childish when you're suffering. Thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyone else? Uh, can you relate to this, this suffering servant passage? The idea that you brought up, Mark, about how uh, people are embracing it is uh, fascinating. And uh, I just think about what, what, what would you have to believe in to, to seek it out and have it be a blessing to you and have it be welcomed? Uh, what kind of you know, state of mind is that? I just find it incredible that they, that they, they would embrace it. And I don't know uh, how often do I embrace it. I think there's, it's, one level, it's one level to, um, to, to uh, when, it, when it comes at you and you didn't realize it, and then you embrace it, and you're like, okay, I'm going to roll with these punches. But, like, to seek it out, to seek out suffering, to go and, like, as Jesus did, to go and choose to be this way, to go and uh, pursue a lifestyle of suffering... I think I re. I think I don't know. Maybe I'll toot my own horn for a second. I think I react well to suffering. I don't ever seek it out, though. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's just if it happens, great, and I'll learn something from it. But do I pursue a lifestyle of suffering? It feels very different. Yeah, it's like that aspect of passive suffering. Kind of like if it happens, then I guess, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'll kind of experience some form of suffering at maybe. some point. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, but like you're talking about, to kind of engage with it and to, you know, embrace suffering, yeah. uh, that, that to me is, uh, like, I don't really get it. I don't understand um, how to do that, if I'm honest. Um, what about you guys? Like, what do you think? I think the thing that stood out to me was it, it seemed like shame was a, was a big theme. And that idea of uh, his beard being pulled out, I, don't, I can't grow a beard like Colin, but I don't... <laughs> I don't believe in the, the historical context that that was an act of persecution to torture somebody, but it was like a very shameful act to have your beard torn out. And I think as a student on a college campus and as a campus minister trying to stand up for my faith, it was hard for me to embrace the potential public shame of announcing publicly that I was a Christian or acting in certain ways that people would know that I was a Christian. And it just struck me, he really trusted God to vindicate him and to cover his shame. And I find that I'm always trying to vindicate myself before other people and cover my own shame. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, this idea of, like, do we, do we shy away from sharing uh, who we're associated with, that we're followers of Jesus? Do we, uh, do we kind of, you know, because it's uncomfortable or there's that aspect of this could put myself in a, in a shameful position, 
Therefore, I want to avoid that kind of suffering. Uh, I want to avoid this conflict. I want to avoid this, you know, image of myself. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, I think we can all relate to that, this idea of saving face because we don't want to be shamed um, because of who we associate, because of who we follow as, a, as Christians. Yeah, it says, you know, he who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Who is my accuser? Let him face me. Like, uh, uh, let us face each other. It's, it's this, it's this uh, who would bring charges against me? Let him come. Because I know who would vindicate me is near. And uh, man, to stand up for your faith on a campus, Michael, like, that, <laughs> he who vindicates you has to be near. Or there's just so much to lose if we're not living in this, in, in the kingdom. There's too much to lose. So, um, I mean, this, this context is written in exile, and this idea of suffering must be very near to them uh, and would, would make a lot of sense. This, like, yes, we are in exile as a people of God. Um, we are being ruled by somebody else. And, like, in this day and age, how do we, how do we embrace, like Jonathan was talking about, how do we embrace suffering? How do we, in our culture, in our Western society, what is this idea of suffering? Is it, is it circumstantial? Is it uh, suffering? Like, can we define, like, suffering? Uh, maybe it's different, and maybe it's personal for each person, but um, how do we kind of view suffering? Uh, this makes sense to me, this, like, but we're not living in exile. Uh, so how, does, how, does, how do you interpret that? How do you relate to that? Um, if I can have a go, I think... Too often these days, it's, it's easy to mistake suffering for, like, affliction. And so suffering is more you're going through something. If you break down, like, the root word, it's, like, the SU part means below, and the fur part, the Latin, is, is to bear. So if you, if you break down the, the word, it means to bear something from below. I always picture the guy holding the globe or whatever. You know that statue? So if you look at the, the root of it, that's suffering from the Christian standpoint. It's agreeing to do something very difficult for potentially a long time um, because you can see something on the other side of it. But I think, you know, you, um, uh, you get afflicted with something and it's quite different. Like, um, I don't know what an example could be, maybe like losing your hair or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, preach, man, yeah, it's so hard. Like, preach about it, right? But um, that's not suffering. That's just something that happens. Affliction right? is but a great word. Affliction. It's an affliction. <laughs> but do you guys get what I'm saying? Suffering from the Christian standpoint is more you're taking ownership of something. You're seeing the end product. You're agreeing to go through uncomfortable situations for what potentially could be at the other side. It's good. I think a lot about hope. Uh, and uh, your question, Mark, again, was... Can you just say it one more time for well, me? Well, like, how do, we, um, how do we understand suffering in our current right. modern context? Right. Yeah. So uh, I was thinking about this as I was just kind of doing a little bit of study uh, for today. And this idea of hope is another thing that's been resonating in this series. And that, uh, you know, in Romans 5, suffering produces character, produces perseverance, produces hope. And uh, I feel like what I do in my, in, like, my personal context for suffering is... If I don't want to suffer, there's a really quick and easy thing to help you not suffer. Ready? You're going to learn something today. If you don't want to suffer, this is what I do, is I just don't hope for anything. That's really handy. 
If you don't want to suffer, just don't hope. <laughs> don't hope for things that are bigger and beyond you. Don't hope for God to move. Uh, don't hope for big things because there will be suffering along with that. Uh, and so that's a really handy trick that I've learned in my life is as soon as things get bumpy, you just stop hoping for God to move or, you know, need Jesus. And so in the context of my life, I find that uh, when, when, I, when I, like the real form of suffering, when I feel that, what it always indicates is the fact that I've hoped for something bigger than beyond myself. Affliction, like you said, something happening to you, it's an externality. Bad things happen to us, great. But suffering only happens when you want to carry the weight of something. Like a, like a family, like, you know, like a parent, like your, your, your kids can cause you to suffer. You know, your neighbors can afflict you, but your kids can cause you to suffer. And uh, uh, so if you just don't hope for anything, suffering goes away real quick. And uh, I'm really guilty of this. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that's really powerful what you're saying. Because I, I think the hard thing for them here is God had promised he'd be with his people in a temple and that their king would rule the world. And here they are with no temple in a foreign land as slaves to, to another people. And so just to, to continue hoping, yeah, God, your promises are true, but I'm a slave in a foreign land. Like, how do I hold those tensions? And I think I, I found for me, for most of us, we don't have external like persecution, but I, I think we can feel, we can resonate with this when we're hoping for something, we feel like God has promised something and we're in the tension of not experiencing that reality. And I think, like Jonathan was saying, just in my, my experience, uh, friends, people I've worked with, I see that people who respond well embrace that tension, and they, they lament. I, I had one friend, he just won't go into the whole background, but he just locked himself in his room uh, for large portions of three months and just embraced the tension that he was in. But in doing that, he came out on the other side, and he found God's hope and his reality. But I've seen other friends who they, they just can't cope, and so they just become cold and indifferent. But in the end, you know, they, they don't feel the pain, but they don't have any hope either. So, like, I don't know if you're like me, where when you hear the word suffering, you think negative. Is that, is that just me? or nope. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, how, how does this concept, this idea of suffering, the reality of suffering, how can this be embraced in a positive way how can we how can we uh like want to suffer like i don't want to suffer it's like a negative thing but uh it seems like there's so many new testament references that this is part of following jesus is is suffering and and following jesus is not a negative thing so in your experience how have you uh how has suffering been a, a rewarding or a positive thing in your life Paul, you haven't said something in a while. He's got a, so he's got a piece of paper we're, out. <laughs> we're all going to look at you. Do you have the answer right there? Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would, uh, so, like, Israel was suffering, but uh, their captors probably weren't until God was judging them. So I think of uh, any suffering you might do at work, or with family, there uh, you immediately feel like alienated, right? So if you're like trying to, so in my mind, when I'm suffering, uh, 
with like people at work, it feels like injustice. So um, I'm trying to maintain a standard that they aren't, and then uh, they have a unfavorable view of me because I'm not playing their game or I'm not joining them in their lack of ethics or whatever. So when I think of suffering today, um, there is, I think, a legitimate sense of pride and joy that comes from deciding to maintain a moral standard despite your surroundings. So, like, I'm imagining the Babylonians worshiping their gods however they did, you know, I don't know, like having a great party in a sense. And then the Israelites lamenting their condition and kind of looking over at the party and going, wow, that looks way better. I hope this gets better for me. And so I can imagine myself or you at work and deciding to maintain a way of thinking, a way of acting, a way of speaking that doesn't look like the party everyone else is having. And then on top of that, people might add insult to injury and throw you under the bus or try to make you look bad or take advantage of your work to prop themselves up. Like suffering, at least in the New Testament, takes many forms. But I think what can make it particularly difficult in our context is when you feel like you're the only one at your work trying to maintain it. So that to me, that's what suffering is in our day and age, is trying to maintain a moral standard while everyone else is having a good time. Can I ask you a question, Paul? What are you hoping for that would, that would, like, that would allow you to persevere in that circumstance? Like, what's the hope that's driving that? Yes, yeah, so this is what I struggle with. Um, having started my Christian faith uh, in a very difficult time of life, uh, I quickly... Um, like lowered my expectation of God and myself. So I don't have a good answer for that except that like I want to hope. I don't know how to hope at my work, but I want to hope. Cool. And I know I need to hope, but I just, I haven't figured out how to have a, um, I figured out how to find some joy in doing what is right, but having a hope that things would change in me and my workplace, um, that's one thing in Isaiah I haven't really I, when I read it, I don't get it. I don't resonate with it. So I don't have a good answer for that right now. Thanks for your honesty. I appreciate that. That's good. I think we can all relate that we don't have it all together. We are figuring it out as we go. So that's great. Um, here's another question. At what point in your Christian journey uh, did you realize that following Jesus is following him into suffering? Like maybe... Uh, you know, this hasn't clicked for me, like in the beginning of me following Jesus. It was like, oh, this will improve my life. Like following Jesus will be a benefit. It will make my life better. And then me realizing, wait, uh, I'm being invited into a posture of suffering to follow Jesus. What's with that? I know exactly what it was for me. It's like a very distinct moment. So the actual suffering... I don't actually know whether I've suffered in my life or not. <laughs> I think a little bit. But it's been a progressive thing. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden the suffering started in my life. But God slowly introduces these things and teaches it to me. But when I decided to be okay with it and welcome it and pursue it, be like, I, okay, this whole n pursuit of my life being not suffering thing isn't working out. I remember very distinctly, it was, um, it was as I graduated, as I walked across the stage of the Chan Center, 
I'll never forget this moment. It's probably the lowest point of my life, actually, graduating. Because what happened was, is uh, in grade 12, I figured out, because I was in an accelerated program, I figured out that I, I had all my provincials done by the time I was done grade 11, which means grade 12, I didn't have to do anything. So I took a bunch of courses and then slowly started dropping them all. But you can't drop them all at once. That is why I was smart. I went to this, this vice principal to drop this one and the principal to drop this one and then the other vice principal to drop that one. By the end of grade 12, I had six free blocks, <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> like, I was just wasn't going to suffer. I wasn't going to do anything like I just wanted as, as easy life as possible. And, I, and what happens is that you know, I had English and metal work at the end, aced those, but uh, you don't qualify for anything when you only take two courses. You don't qualify for honor roll even. You don't qualify for scholarship. I didn't know that, <laughs> but you don't qualify for anything. So I think people thought I was smart in my high school. I, it wasn't actually true, but I think people thought I was. And so I remember walking across the stage, and you know how like, it's pretty dumb, but when, when they announce like, and so-and-so's got an honor roll, and so-and-so has received this graduation, like a gift and this, uh, whatever, accolade, and I remember the silence of me walking from one stage to the other, because I didn't receive anything. Just walked straight to the principal and shook his hand and then left the stage. And I remember the audible murmur of my peers. I remember the murmur, and I remember the sounds of my footsteps. Just in the giant Chan Center. I will never forget this moment. And, uh, and it was from that day on that I vowed, that I was like, God, I am done like, I am done avoiding suffering. And, I, and, and, and slowly but surely, he's answered my prayer. And he's not only, he's, he's given me suffering, but what, more than that, he's given me hope that for the next generation to not have to go through stuff like that. And it might not have anything to do with academia, but that heart of avoiding suffering, I'm, well, so he's given me a lot of hope since then. But I remember that moment very distinctly. It's a powerful moment. Yeah. <laughs> very vivid. It's like I was there watching that happen, yeah. John. I probably would have been murmuring as well. <laughs> I, uh, can you state the question again? Um, I'm just wondering at what point in your walk with Jesus did you realize that you were being invited into suffering with Christ? Yeah. Uh, like right away, but... <laughs> but <laughs> That's good too, yes. I... I was like, my last answer was a little down, so I'm trying to like, uh, no, I, I decided to follow Jesus like in the middle of my parents' divorce. So yeah, like suffering was uh, at the forefront. But uh, when I think about like hope, I always thought of hope as something that was like far off. So you get it when you die, but nothing now. So that's like the whole, you've lowered your expectation of God. But I think it's, um, there is some, there is definitely hope that you, and salvation that you receive now, like before the end. Like to me, that's a defining feature of suffering. Like um, suffering isn't just this long, like trod through the trenches until you die, which is, but it's that along the way you find your salvation, you find your hope. And that is, that is a fair and equal part to suffering. So, um, like, suffering isn't the thing, like, the thing you do. It's, uh, it's a lifestyle, and it's not absent of hope. Or, and so, um, the things that I felt I lost early on in life and was suffering from, 
God met and gave me years later and spoke to me, and there's some things I'm still waiting for. So it's uh, like, yeah, suffering was early on, but in a sense, like hope is not just, uh, I, the, the trick, the struggle for me is to believe that hope is like tomorrow and today, not just like when I die and my kids are older. Like there's that whole idea of your kids inheriting what you've suffered for, but for sure there's hope and salvation now. Like there has to be. Uh, otherwise, uh, I don't know if we would have the strength to suffer. So yeah. those are the two things in tandem I, I learned earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, next week's Easter. Uh, it just reminds me of like Jesus' suffering journey to the cross. Uh, and it says, for the joy yeah. laid out before him, he was able to suffer and endure this because he knew about the hope, right? Uh, and that to me is so inspiring where... Uh, like you were talking about at the beginning about this model, right, of like, you know, th this model of, of Jesus and how we can follow him in his suffering. But uh, like Jesus knew uh, what was before him, and it was not an easy road that he had to journey on uh, to the cross. But he knew about the power of the resurrection. He knew about salvation. Uh, and that, that, you know, talking about that burden, right, that lifting up, that burden, Jesus bore all of our sins, like the sins of the world, right? I mean, that's intense. Um, so, G like, Jesus went through that suffering, and he knew what the Father had called him to do. And it wasn't easy, but it was like that the joy that he had because he had that perspective of, of hope. He had that perspective of, of what was to come, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just to jump onto that, I was reading in Exodus this morning, and it was talking about the story when Moses led the Israelites um, to a place where there was no water. And they were grumbling and they were crying out. You know, they were, they were really upset. And so God instructed Moses. He said, go to this rock, take your staff, the same staff that you struck the Nile with, and hit this rock and water will gush from it. So I was thinking about that. Like, God didn't need to strike. the. He could have just made the water come out without Moses striking it. But... Uh, just like Jesus had to suffer the cross for us to have that salvation, God has been setting that model for a long time. And um, it's hard for us to understand why it has to be like that. But it, just like in Isaiah, throughout the whole narrative, you see that actually they kind of deserve to be exiled. Like they broke that covenant with God. And when I think about suffering, I kind of deserve it. You know what I mean? I'm a sinner. I, I fall away from God sometimes. But... What you're saying, Jesus did not deserve it. He was pure. He was, um, he had no sin. So the fact that God struck him, uh, it makes it all that much more profound to me, I think. Awesome. Um, did anyone want to say anything else? We're going we're gonna to wrap it up and then uh, does anyone still have a burning thing that they wanted to communicate? Okay, so we're going to do, uh, because this was a very different uh, Sunday, this, uh, this sermon, we're going to do something different for you as well. I haven't even told, I just thought of this idea, so we're just going to go with it. Um, but what I'd like to do, we, you just heard a conversation happen here, um, and I encourage you at the very beginning to, if there's something that kind of like stands out, uh, something that you connected with, something that resonates with you, um, I, I was telling you to pay attention to that. So what I'd like you to do is uh, to turn to the people next to you, either the, directly the person like, uh, or a group, uh, whether it's three or four people, that's fine. 
But I just want you to turn around to the person next to you or behind you or in front of you, and uh, I want you just to, um, just to share what you connected with, what resonated with you, what stood out from this conversation. Um, so if you could do that, and then we'll invite the uh, worship team to come up. Uh, I'll, uh, after a few minutes, I'll transition us with a prayer, and then we'll uh, close with our last worship song. So please turn to the person next to you and uh, just share what, um, maybe God's speaking to you about something. So just share to the person next to you, and uh, then we'll wrap it up in a few minutes here. Mm -hmm. 